Hello, hello. Welcome to Movie Go Round, the film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Around the World. Everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Thank you for joining me here on Movie Go Round. Joining me, as always, my two wonderful co-hosts, Nicole Davis. How are you doing this fine, cold January 2018 uh, evening? This is our first recording of the new year, even though it'll come out much later. Oh, yeah. When By the time it comes out, it'll probably be 70 degrees outside. But uh, <laughs> as of today, when we're recording, there is the first blizzard of the year, uh, at least up here in New England. And it's terrible, and I stepped in flooded water on my walk home tonight and had to hurry home to make sure I didn't freeze my toes. And I uh, had to breathe a lot of cold air very heavily, and that is why my voice now sounds like this. So I apologize to all of our, like, 12 listeners um, for <laughs> hey, my vocal quality. according to the analytics, we're at least 20. So. All right. <laughs> Big shout out to all of you. Uh, David Luzader, hopefully it's not as crazy by you weather-wise. Doesn't sound like it is. No, no, but I am uh, I'm keeping things positive even though it's below freezing. I'm getting out there. I'm sitting on a lounge chair uh, with a Mai Tai in a swimsuit Ooh. every day. The doctor thinks I will catch pneumonia soon. Uh, but I'm keeping positive. You know, I'm trying to keep an outlook that's... Uh, <laughs> Good. Think warm, you'll feel warm. Right, right exactly. exactly. Uh, well, for those unfamiliar with the program, every single week we have a different theme. This week's theme, again, around the world. That means we are digging into a film uh, that is an international film. So I'm not very familiar with international films, but you guys, of course, are much more familiar with them than me, which makes these exciting weeks for me when you guys are picking the movies. This is actually David's pick this week. We had a pick from David, the host, which was announced on a previous show, and that's all been fixed by now, so don't worry about that. But we had to give David another pick because the the podcasting gods took the host from us too soon, so we need to, you know, make up for that and give David his pick that's going to go out to the audiences. David, why don't you tell us uh, what you picked, and then we'll read a little bit about it. Uh, so the movie I picked was Ip Man, um, which is a biopic on Ip Man, who was a person who lived uh, in the uh, in the mid nineteen hundreds in China. Uh, he was a martial arts master of the Wing Chun style, uh, portrayed by Donnie Yen. I don't, you know, I don't want to say too much because I think Brett's about to read a little summary yes. here, but this movie <laughs> uh, is awesome. <laughs> It's 2008's Ip Man during the Japanese invasion of 1937 when a wealthy martial artist is forced to leave his home and work to support his family. He reluctantly agrees to train others in the art of Wing Chun for self-defense. Uh, just for those unfamiliar with the history behind this, I'm sure we'll get into more of it. I don't know a lot about Ip Man, but uh, one thing to keep in mind is this is happening you know, a little bit before, like during World War II and then slightly after World War II, because one of the kind of the unsung wars of World War II, if you want to call it that, is the Chinese 
occupation of Japan. Uh, we always hear nah, a lot. Backwards. I'm sorry. Backwards. Other way around. I apologize. <laughs> it's late. I've had work all day. The other way around. The Japanese occupation of China, which we hear a lot yeah. about German occupation of European countries, but we never hear a lot about the Japanese occupying China, which is why uh, that's I found only this. if you do not consume any media from East Asia. If you do, it is which a I do not part <laughs> of the uh, consciousness of several countries in East Asia. See, this is the first film I have ever seen to make that a central theme. <laughs> oh, wow. So I found that very fascinating because I've always found that part of World War II immensely interesting, mostly because uh, China is historically very isolationist during the World Wars, and it's fascinating to see how they were fighting their own, well, essentially their own separate war inside of a larger war. Um so, but that's all, you know, taking place during this movie. Uh, this is a movie I'd never seen before, uh, and I really enjoyed it, but I want to talk more about that later. Good. I asked, I want to ask Nicole if she'd seen it, and then I want to ask David why he picked it. So, Nicole, had you seen it? I've seen it several times. Excellent. And David, why did you pick Ip Man? Or as I used to call it when I scrolled past it on Netflix, IP Man. Or <laughs> or you could call it Yip Man, which is how you actually say it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's true, but I mean let's you know, reading it off the page, I'm, I'm not gonna get the subtleties of the pronunciation. Well they say there. it too. I'm just gonna throw uh, that out there. I I, li- I listen to the English dub and they say Ip Man in it. So in the English dub? What are you listening to the English dub for? What's the matter with you? <laughs> We're gonna get Sometimes. into that. I have to explain my journey with this mu- with this movie's audio. <laughs> it was a journey. Anyway. Anyway, the reason that I picked this movie, I had uh, seen it before. This is actually the first of three of the uh, Ip Man biopics starring Donnie Yen. Um, I think that Donnie Yen is awesome, which was why I checked out this movie in the first place. I think he's one of the greatest uh, living martial artists, at least working in film. Uh, And I knew, like, Brett, that you (laughs) really enjoyed that you really enjoy Star Wars. And I was like, you know, he's probably never really seen much of Donnie Yen outside of uh, Rogue One. And he's the best part of Rogue One. Um, you know, I want to show Brett exactly how awesome Donnie Yen is. And I'm hoping that also <laughs> people see this and will be like, I've never heard of that. I'm going to go watch it and I'll jump on the Donnie Yen bandwagon that I've been riding for the last couple of years. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened because I started watching <laughs> this movie and then like three minutes into it, went into our Slack chat and said, oh my God, it's Chirrut Imwe, which is the character <laughs> he plays in Rogue One. Uh, honestly, a very, very similar character in, in tone, uh, aside from the fact hmm. that Ip Man's not blind um uh so well, they're that, both that very laid me... back sort of characters yes yeah very li- like but actually one thing i wanted to bring up and i guess now is a good a time as any is uh the reason i find him so likable even though i've really only seen him in like two or three things is that he just gives an essence of calm and an essence of warmness where he's smiling at everything he's always smiling in all in the, the roles i've seen him in this and rogue one and maybe something else He's always smiling. He's always, like, feels content. Like, you just want to, like, snuggle up with him. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's a, like, I just feel... 
I just feel like he is so calm, and he's and the entire movie he's just like hello, hello. You just wonder if he comes <laughs> to the set today on you know the set on something, because he's just so smiley, and I love that about him in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it. Just so you know, he does have a bigger range than this. I've seen him in a lot of other. Uh... See, that's what I was going to ask: is I does he have a bigger range? Is he's not he's not just oh, this yeah. guy and Rogue One guy. Yeah, but I I will say that I think this is what he's best at. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He plays just this very affable, likable guy who's got this sort of humility to him really well. Uh, Or, you you know, I don't really know what the actual man was like, but this version, I'm like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) I can see why everybody would look up to him. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I never even heard of it man or or yip man what is it if you pronounce it correctly <laughs> ip man yip man yip man yip man okay but for 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 the listeners unfamiliar we do spoil films and and be aware of that but this is a martial artist with inexplicable wealth which isn't really explained in the movie and uh nope <laughs> and he just kind of lives the good life he has tea and shops and people give him free things for being a public attraction uh yeah. and he is forced into the, for lack of a better word, almost the in the servitude during the difficult years of the Chinese into, um, like, fighting for the Chinese, I guess. Japanese. Japanese. <laughs> well, no, he doesn't fight for the Japanese. He, no, but fighting, fighting... But, I mean, he fights for them as in, like, in front of them. The I mean, to entertain them is what I mean. Yes. Um, because, you know, the whole storyline in this movie that I find kind of odd but I also love is the fact that their grand plan is just to make people fight in an arena until they'll finally teach them how to fight like that like Kumite I- <laughs> totally is Kumite uh, this, this movie I love this movie a lot but there's just kind of points where it meanders a little bit which is like it just kind of weaves in and out of different plot lines and it's yeah. like oh over here he's fighting uh this cabal of japanese guys and over here he's uh, teaching these factory workers how to fight and then kind of a not well written family plot line also happening somewhere in there but <laughs> yeah. this movie is under 2 hours and it's i mean it I think that's to its benefit. Um, yes, I, I don't agree. ever feel bored in this movie, which like, you, you get a lot of uh, biopics that just drag. You do. And this doesn't. And perhaps that's a benefit of only doing a very select period of his life. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. instead of trying to go from, you know, uh, cradle to grave. Right. Which, yeah, they're not starting with, here he was as a baby when he started learning it at age seven, and now here, you know, this part. And the other two movies, uh, and I guess they're working on a fourth. I was looking that up while we were talking at the beginning here. Uh, The other two movies are very similar, where they are focusing on just certain points of his life later on. And they get a bit more fantastical, which we'll talk about a little bit of the difference. Yeah, I want to talk about the sequels later. Because yeah, I have some questions. Yeah, never, never fought Mike Tyson. I can tell you. <laughs> oh, yeah. He fights Mike Tyson. Which he does in Yipman 3. So. Which not, Mike Tyson is playing a character for the yes, record. Yes, yes. But I mean, it's not, not just well. Actual, okay, but, It's not just actually no, Mike Tyson. No, he's like, some, I, I think he's like a, some sort like of a real estate baron or something. Really? 
think- he fight he does fight a boxer in the second one though yes like george foreman like <laughs> no, Which is fight- our, it's, that's actually based on a true event that one, one that one yes huh yeah so is this is this uh it's a chinese movie not a japanese movie yes is yes. this the china's <laughs> rocky like the first one's incredible and then it just you just starts going in the weird places and you're fighting no. weird people the second one's pretty good. Rocky uh, II's not bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, there you go. Uh, the third one is entertaining, but I think it does give way a lot more to well, what would just be a fun story. Yeah, yeah. I think the third one is pretty much you know here's the character that Donnie Yen's been playing, and we're no longer pretending it has any historical connection to the right. real Which- Yvonne. To be fair, this movie only barely it touches on elements of his life, yeah. but uh, he was like he was a policeman in uh, in his city, and that's never talked about or shown in the movie. He continued to be a policeman during the Japanese occupation, uh, so he was actually they did live in a mansion, but uh, according to the son who worked as like a consultant on this film. The mansion was never as big as they showed it in the film. It was just like a very nice house. Uh, and when they weren't living there anymore, his father continued to work. So it wasn't this dramatic 360. Suddenly they're living in a hovel and then the wife is sick for one scene. Well, like inexplicably <laughs> yeah. way better the second scene. <laughs> and then the next scene is fine. Like I thought they're like, oh, this is like a really interesting plot. Like he's, you know, how is he going to struggle with having to ride for his family and taking care of his sick wife? And oh, nope. She's fine. <laughs> no, she's okay. She's all good. Yeah. One of my favorite things so, about I this. I love his wife, by the way. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> uh, played by, I can't remember her name, but she's actually like a model, which is actually really common in uh, uh, Chinese, or I think just generally Eastern cinema. Like Lin for a female Hung role, they don't have name. a problem getting a model in there. Yeah, it's uh, Lin Hung. Right. Yes, that's his, his wife. So, One thing I, I wanted to, to mention, David touched on it briefly, how there are parts of this film that aren't particularly well-written, uh, particularly some subplots like The Family. One thing I, I kind of love about this film is how incredibly predictable it is. And I and I and that would normally be uh, something I would be frustrated with, but I loved that I knew everything that was going to happen in this movie having never seen it because it's so predictable, but it does it so well and it does it with such well, gusto and like it knows what it is, and that's what I love about yeah. it because it's so predictable from like the moment he walks into the factory and they're all like, Teach us, master, and like the factory workers rise up to the moment that we finally get to see the guy that he fought at the beginning of the movie, and they're like, Ah, oh, it's so predictable. Uh, you mean Chinese Carl Urban? Yes. Um, <laughs> but this time watching it, I could not stop thinking about how much he looked like Carl Urban. Right. I love that he like that he teaches them, and then there's that scene where the guys come back and they fight, and they're like holding their own a little bit, but they're not winning. <laughs> like I really love how they handled that. Yeah. It was like they've been training for a few weeks, so yeah, they're going to be able to maybe block some hits and get some punches in, but they're really not trained fighters. Right? Uh, is this a film? Did this do well in China? Do, do the Chinese? Oh yeah, these are yeah. very yeah. successful. They the, actually, they were not going to do uh, anymore after the second one, and then it was so successful. They like Donnie Yen was like, "I'm done," 
and that was so successful they got him back and now for a fourth one he was like well if reaction is there and it does well enough and it has done incredibly well also so yeah these movies do great because one thing I noticed, uh, as someone who doesn't watch a lot of independent film, uh, not independent, in international films, is this was the highest quality international film I've ever seen. It felt to me Ow. like it had the production Ugh. quality of Hollywood in the sense that the camera work was a lot sharper and the fights were beautifully choreographed and very well shot. In contrast to some of the smaller international films i've seen either for this show or for other shows uh you know for example i watched a bollywood film for silver screens last week this stands oh much taller uh they do some really interesting stuff too with like the color when in the beginning when everything is happy and they're just living their lives and just casually having sparring matches for fun and then when the japanese occupy everything gets this sort of sepia tone a little bit like color loss to it. Everything feels a, a bit more bleak. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely noticed that. Yeah, I think I think this film is beautifully shot in contrast to some things I have seen in the that I have seen personally as a as a person who's only seen, you know, a couple dozen international films. And that really pulled me into it because to get back around to my audio predicament, I was watching this while I had some very important stuff I had to do today, so I was paying attention to it on a screen right next to me, but I couldn't necessarily keep reading subtitles the entire time. So I put on the dub on Netflix, it's available, and the dub is incredibly good. Uh, The actors are really in it, like, they're really working hard to sell it. They actually change some of the dialogue to shorten things up, because... Am I right in saying that it's quicker to say something in Chinese than it is in English? It depends on what you're saying. Because there's yeah, some things where I noticed that like they would say like two English words for what in the subtitles was like a paragraph. <laughs> because the subtitles had the translation of the Chinese. So I was able to I would, compare and contrast. I would not be surprised, and I can't uh, find this out to confirm it, if Donnie Yen did his own he did dub. and that's what i was going around to okay is that is that one of the reasons it is a in my opinion a decent dub is because his voice is still in it and it's very well done uh so i had the subtitles on and i i listened to it a little bit without the dubs just so i could hear everybody else's voices um but with with the subtitles of the of the chinese text combined with the americanized dub I got a very interesting experience <laughs> because they're not the same. Like the dialogue is really different so much to the point that the American one just randomly adds swearing. That's not in the movie. <laughs> oh, that's weird. It's really no, weird. Like there's you, an art to it. Like, there's do you know the, um, to, the scene where the, the guy, the guy who, who the ex martial artist who runs the coal, the, uh, the coal area that he is working in when he yeah. needs to make money for his family. And this is the guy who is working with the Japanese to bring him, mar- to bring them martial artists to test, basically. Uh, mm-hmm. And when he comes back with this guy, he says, you have no honor. You know, you are, you are not, you don't have any allegiance to your countrymen. And the guy gets all pissed off. And then Ip Man walks away and the guy said, you know, I am a Chinese man. And he kind of like throws something down and stares down really meaningly, meaningfully. 
in the dub, mm-hmm. it's "I'm a Chinese man, damn it!" and like really loud and aggressive, <laughs> like it shouldn't be there. Uh, it it's it weird. does get like the point across though, like the feeling that they were attempting to portray. Uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's that that because that is, I mean, that is something that you would have people say in like an you know an American dialogue. Like punctuating it with "damn it" really gives it that. Oh yeah, feeling like it of works. Like, it's just funny thing, because it. it's so much more tame in the in the subtitles. Well, <laughs> it it actually might be a more literal translation of what's being said. You know, said. depending on how you say something in Chinese and you, you know what what parts are emphasized, mm. what tones you use, it can impact how it's supposed to. Uh, what they're trying to say and how they're trying to say it. So they translate a little differently. And the translation is always going to be a little bit different just because they need to fit the English dub to fit the visuals right, right, of right. the movie. They've got to sync it up even if, you know, the actual translation would be four words longer. they got to find a way to shorten it. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's I know it's kind of taboo amongst uh, whether it's international film goers or anime film goers or whatever to watch dubs but nah, it, for my this, purposes it, it, i enjoyed it whatever you are most comfortable with uh i think is appropriate for a film I, you know people get so up on the dub versus sub thing but for some people reading and keeping up with the story and the visuals can be difficult so yeah. i'm giving people permission here <laughs> out there in the world do what you are most comfortable with. If Especially watching the dub- because dubbing- you have Donnie's voice, and his voice is yeah. so soothing. <laughs> and dubbing, yeah. dubbing has gotten a lot better as there's been more um, attention to wide international releases. It used to be, you know especially with anime, eh, five people in America are going to see this. <laughs> Who cares? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be all grainy late night on a television channel. No one's really going to be paying attention to it. So there has been a lot more focus on the international market mm-hmm. dub-wise, and they have gotten a lot better. Yeah, it was impressive, and it was nice that Donnie Yen was in it. Uh, you know, he, is, he does, you know, carry himself in the dub very well. His English is great. Oh yeah, yeah, very, very. English very is good. fantastic. His his parents actually live here in Boston's Chinatown. I believe it. So I, I have a question for you guys, and I'm hoping you can fill me in a little bit historically. Uh, as someone who's not terribly familiar with uh, Japanese and Chinese culture as it relates to the martial arts, I look at people like Jackie Chan and. Uh, and Donnie Yen and Bruce Lee. And one thing I notice is that they're not only are they incredibly talented martial artists, but they're also more than capable actors uh, in order to convey that onto the screen. And that's where they primarily use those talents. Mm-hmm. And I find that interesting because I can't find a, a really good parallel of that in American culture. We don't have a sport where the best people at that sport are like, I should be in movies about this sport. Like, do you know what I mean? It's different than our, than our culture. Yeah I, yeah. I guess movies about that sport. No, but I mean, there's certainly a lot of sports figures who transition into acting. Yeah. And it's, I think it's also a kind of difficult comparison to say that martial arts is the same as sports. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, it's, it's a it's, big cultural uh, yeah. 
I guess what I'm saying is I'm surprised because it's a it, it, if you just take it beyond the culture of sports, learning martial arts is not teaching you how to act. They're, they're very separate things. So I'm surprised that these guys can move so fluently into those roles. Well, well but I mean, think about it. There are how many millions of martial artists in the world? Law of averages, some of those are going to be good actors. There are some sports people that are, you know, good on stage as well. Uh, like, I mean, look at the the wonderful Michael Jordan in Space Jam. <laughs> Oscar worthy you were performance. Going there. Uh, no, but I mean, like you have you have look guys the like at, yeah, The Rock, Dwayne. Well, I forgot The Rock's no. actually a genuinely good example because, like yeah. or hate him, he's immensely successful. And and John Cena isn't a great actor, but he has really great comedic chops. And everything I've seen him in, he gets a laugh out of me typically. Yeah, you're right. You guys are totally right. I I guess I just find it interesting because I am so alien to the culture of, of kung fu. Uh, is well, the kung- Jackie Chan in in particular? He went to the Peking Opera School, so from a yes. young age he trained as a martial artist and an actor simultaneously. And he was also in pornography. Oh, I missed that one. <laughs> yep, it's true. But actually, Jackie Chan's a really interesting example because you mentioned Bruce Lee, and Jackie Chan strove to be a counterpoint to Bruce Lee. Yep, uh, it was actually really calculated. You know, it was if if Bruce Lee goes right, I'm going to go left. If Bruce Lee, you know, Bruce Lee has like the iron punch; he punches someone and they go down, and he's awesome. Uh, Jackie Chan, if he punches like someone or like a wall and it hurts, he's going to like, he's going to react that it hurts. You know, he has no problem doing the kind of goofier stuff because that is what's going to set him apart. Interesting. Doesn't Jackie Chan have a brand new movie coming out? Probably. He had one this past year called The Foreigner. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And it did very well. And it's actually a, it's a dramatic role. It's very little in the way of martial arts in it actually the apparently the trailer is not a good example of what's in the film huh. interesting very he, interesting yeah well, i uh, don't want to go too down far down the jackie chan hole yeah, no, no, he actually not. doesn't want to do fighting movies he's getting he too doesn't. old yeah <laughs> well even for years before that uh, anyway that with jackie chan we'll talk about jackie chan when we watch jackie chan film. right but but back yeah. back to it man let's talk about the comparison yes. Of, you know, the character of Ip-Man and also Donnie Yen's performance of that character. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, apparently cuddling came to mind. That's weird. <laughs> but uh, he's just so calm. That's what I love about it yeah. is that he's a very, very... Uh, uh, mm, I, he's calm until you shoot his friend. And then he gets salt. He yes. gets very, very salty. And one of the best scenes in the movie, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. He... Yeah, we we did talk about a little bit about his portrayal of this character, and he does have this aloofness, um, but he has a real charming quality to him that really draws people to him. Uh, and I, I do love the scenes where he gets serious; like he sells it so well um, that there is there is something under that surface that makes him so good at martial arts uh, that. He's, he didn't just learn it for fun. He knows how to use it and can be incredibly dangerous when he needs to be. Right. They, I think they set that up really well at the beginning of the film when one of the masters comes to challenge him. He does everything he can to make sure that man saves face. 
Mm-hmm. Like he makes sure the duel is pri- well, he tries to make sure that their their duel is private. Mm-hmm. He you know avoids um, striking him too hard. He avoids beating him too handily. He, he doesn't leave any marks on him. <laughs> right. He doesn't leave any marks, particularly not on his face. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way, you know, I think what he had in mind or what it's shown to us that he had in mind was that they could say whatever they wanted about the duel and say that it was, oh, it was very close, but you know, yes. Yipman just, you know, just carried the day kind of thing or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, but you know, unfortunately somebody witnesses the duel and goes off and tells these stories about how you know, Yipman wiped the floor with him. Um, but I mean that that sets it up that he's a he's a considerate man in many ways he's a very gentle man uh, and he's a gentleman um, and so that when he does get angry and he does lose control you take it very very seriously. I never read though that he ever like really lost control. I mean they showed like you're saying that first thing they showed the level of control he has. And when he's going to let loose and actually punch someone in the face, it's because he means to. And that is a dedicated strike. Yeah, although there's one guy that he comes very, very close to killing. If you punch someone in the chest rapidly, very hard. Yeah. 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 (laughs) His character is very fascinating to me because... uh, he seems entirely disinterested in his own like folklore. He doesn't have any interest in being this this hero that that the people around him want him to be. Right. Uh, and mm-hmm. and of course that's part of the trope, right? Because then he ends up being the hero that everyone needs him to be. Uh, yeah. yeah. Although he's not perfect, he does, you know, accept all these gifts that people want to give to him. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and also and- he's apparently a neglecting father question mark, not not <laughs> Yeah, that, that's one. That's like the worst storyline in this movie. It's like yeah. the, the weird, it's like because it's pay attention to your son, uh, which they partly redeem later in the movie because there's that really emotional scene with his wife when she's talking about like, I always gave him a hard time with this, and I always fought him on fighting, and I'd throw hissy fits whenever he fought, and that was because I not because I was afraid of him fighting, just because I wanted him to spend more time with me instead. And you know, and she wasn't supportive of him as a result of that. And now she wishes she had supported it more and has and would have the opportunity to support him moving forward. But she's afraid he's going to die. So like that dynamic yeah. is a little bit fleshed out toward the end of the movie, but the whole kid thing is not. Yeah, they. I mean, they had a lot of room to do a lot of stuff with the family that they didn't, um, which was which was fine. But I would say it is the weakest part of the film because uh, they show, you know, well, of course he loves them. He just is a little bit distracted and absent-minded. Uh, of course, he's going to do everything for them. There could have been. I think we said this is under two hours. There could have been five more minutes of sprinkled throughout the movie of the family talking and connecting in, in some way. Yeah, yeah that, not... d- that does come through in the second movie a lot more. The, does it? And the third movie, the relationship he yeah. has with his wife. That's good. That's yeah, they good do emphasize it more. David mentioned the scene where, you know, she's sick and then she's inexplicably fine in the next scene. <laughs> and it, it had this, um, it had this Cinderella man appeal to me at that point <laughs> in the movie. 
uh, for lack of a better of a better comparison. Uh, obviously, Cinderella Man is different because that's a guy who was great and then fell, and now he's going to be great again. Um, whereas, like Ip Man is kind of powerful throughout the entire movie. It's just whether he de- he decides he wants to exercise that power. Uh, but there's a moment in the movie where you know this is a great man who is who has previously been powerful, who now has no option but to watch his wife suffer and child go hungry and has to fight people he doesn't want to fight for a bag of rice. And but that's he doesn't the care tragedy. about the rice. What? He doesn't care about the rice. Oh, but even though he doesn't care about the he doesn't care about the rice. But like that's how how else would he get it? Or or shovel right. yeah. shovel coal. Uh and there's a tragedy to that. There's a really heartbreaking, you know, parental relationship tragedy to that which is really well explored in cinderella man uh and in this movie is not because the next scene she's fine uh but i do want to mention when he doesn't uh, sorry sorry, real quick when he doesn't when he doesn't take that bag of rice i get like at least they throw 10 at him and it's like you have a starving family that you are barely (laughs) just take one man nobody's gonna look down on you for it yeah i mean i didn't like that either just because i was thinking just take those and distribute them to other people give them to other people You know, right. yeah. Uh, I do want to mention though that the family does bring my all-time favorite scene of this movie. Uh, nothing will top the scene of him fighting with that one Japanese guy, and then halfway through the fight, his son just starts strolling through the room on a small bicycle. At which point they have to stop and be cordial and wait until the small bicycle has now passed through the room and they can continue fighting. Oh no, that's not a Japanese man. The um. The the guy who's the Chinese Carl Urban the sort of, yes Chinese Carl Urban um, is a northerner uh, who comes to Foshan to prove that his northern oh. style is awesome and better than the southern style. Oh, um, see that's weird then because the movie kind of plays with two antagonists by doing that. Yes. Yeah. And he yeah. later becomes a bandit during the war right right okay that that thank you for that yeah but any, in any case that's my favorite scene is the little kid just trickling through you know, that is a great scene and a it's, a, it's a great fight it's a and fantastic i don't, I don't know what he says in japanese or chinese rather chinese. sorry but but in, on the dub this is gonna be a struggle the whole time uh oh but i on, can't wait to watch the raid on, <laughs> it's not it's not even a what you're gonna think it is uh, but the dub he's like what a little brat and then uh and then Ip Man is like, watch your tone, and like goes at him. It's, that, it's a great scene. That's pretty close to it. That's pretty close, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, it, it, I love that scene. I love it. I think it's I great. Just, I love, like, the, the wife doesn't want him to fight, but he finally says one insulting thing too many. And as yeah. she's leaving the room, she's like, don't break my stuff. Don't, yeah, don't break my stuff. <laughs> I'll pay for it. I'll just over and over as things repeatedly get broken. Uh, which, by the way, I also loved is that like is that at the end of the day, what I find interesting about these fights is that they're and this is something you don't experience in American culture. These fights are not to kill each other. These fights are to see who has more honor and who is the best person at an art form, which is kind of refreshing versus Americans just like strangling each other on, you know, with Bruce Willis on top of skyscrapers. Like I like there's some class to this fighting. It's really cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, they they play up the culture of the martial arts in this film a lot, especially in uh, the region that they're in. And they talk about, you know, Foshan at the beginning being this place where there's just there's all this wealth and prosperity that people can spend 
their days just fighting one another for fun. Uh, and that it's not until later that he needs to pummel on people seriously and dislocate that guy's leg. Oh, I just thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was dislocating. Oh, the sound it made. Yeah. Yeah. Crunchy. Um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, I did a little digging and Foshan apparently was this uh, sort of industrial center uh, and a, a coastal city. So it was there was a lot of trade coming in and out. So it was a fairly a pretty wealthy area at uh, before the Japanese occupation. And obviously that really goes down the train with the occupation because he is resorting to the, you know, the coal uh, shoveling. I'm curious, though. It says that later at the end of the movie, once he has, you know, won the day by getting shot, uh, which is a very interesting <laughs> yes. way to end with your protagonist, having them, like, yes. almost die. Uh, it says, you know, he, he went on to, you know, later prosperity, he found it again and trained new people and stuff. Were they not even planning initially to do a second movie? Because if they I... were, why on earth would they give you his life story at the end? I don't think they were initially. I think this was just supposed to be uh, the story of this time. And then obviously it was very successful and it's like, Hey, we should keep making these. Um, like they just mention in this one, they just mentioned that, Oh, you know, he teaches Bruce Lee and then uh, Bruce Lee actually like is a character in later um, movies. I almost said episodes. <laughs> There's also an, an Ip Man TV show. This character has been in it portrayed in a lot of different ways this is like th this is one series there's also the grand master there's like the final fight there are a lot of movies and a tv show about this character of Ipman. uh but as far as this one goes it was originally supposed to be just one and done they're actually trying to make it for years like decades and donnie yen mm -hmm. has been attached um like since the very beginning trying to get this made I guess uh, at the time this came out, it was like 10 years. When did Donnie Yen start to have mainstream appeal in the U.S.? Uh, oh, I mean, he was in Shanghai Nights. Oh, God. No, that before that. Never <laughs> uh, uh, he was in Hero. Um, ooh, yeah. That's so... Yeah, he's... Hero was uh, an art house hit back in 2002. Yeah, Hero would be another great one to watch sometime. Absolutely. Uh, oh, Iron Monkey was a, a very big... Um, 1993 martial arts film. So that that was big in for martial arts fans here. Mm -hmm. See, he he did is, have work... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, he did have work as like an as a choreographer for a while in uh, films like Blade Two. Uh, so he was, I mean, he was working. I, I really, honestly, it looks like 2002 he was in Hero. 2003 he was in Shanghai Nights. I yeah. think that's kind of when he started uh, breaking in. Yeah, getting on the stage, as it were. Well, guys, stop the presses. He was also in 2017 in Triple X: Return of Xander Cage. Yeah, so of course. That obviously was the, the pinnacle Hooray. achievement of anyone's career, frankly, <laughs> in that movie. Uh, but yeah, my... my, my He's the entire reason I want to see it. <laughs> my line of, of thought was whether or not these movies made it easier for him 
to enter an American consciousness and then ultimately, you know, be one of the stars and one of the, you know, biggest franchises of all time, at least one of the movies from that. But it sounds like he was getting into this stuff way before Ip Man. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Really, I would say in America, he probably wasn't terribly well known on a, like a, on a grand scale before Rogue One. Um, that that probably has kind of thrust him into the American main stage mm-hmm. a lot. But as far as China goes, he is a big deal over there. Right on. Now, this film, since he is a very big deal in China, is incredibly patriotic. <laughs> this is something David put in our yes. docket. It is very patriotic. They're really leaning in heavy on that. It, it's so cool to see it from another cultural perspective. <laughs> like, this is the... If this kind of film was being made in America, it would be about soldiers doing something to to save the American way. Because there's, there's a part in this movie that it really, like, hit me with how patriotic it was, where... Uh, the the Japanese general wants to know his name and he turns around and just says, I'm a Chinese man. And right in that moment, he is China. He's fighting for China against these Japanese oppressors. I'm like, I get it. Yeah, Yeah. I'm into it. Let's go China. I do like that. There is a feeling of patriotism in the movie without, uh, Without being like jingoistic, uh, for lack of a better term, I would not say that entirely. No. I mean, there's the character uh, Mira's second in second in command. I think Sato. Oh yeah, is like he's a- the caricature of the Japanese soldier of World War Two. Yeah, you could have seen That's someone who true. looked like him in like a a very ugly propaganda drawing in the U.S. Those giant like big round glasses yes all that's really kind of missing is the buck teeth and like he would have been in that bugs bunny cartoon we don't talk about (laughs) yes no that that's very right nicole you make an incredibly valid point you say in the docket you know he's a caricature essentially oh yeah and uh, And and i mean he's he's bloodthirsty you know he's ready to any excuse to shoot him yeah any right see i'm just thinking of jingoistic patriotic american filmmaking a la like you know, um, Clint Eastwood uh, <laughs> making like what's the new movie he's making where it's about the, the three Americans that saved everybody on the European train, but he's filming it with them as the actual leads. Oh, have you guys heard of that? No, no, I hadn't heard he was doing that. Yeah, I remember so, when that happened. But. Right, so the so the actual leads in the movie are the three people who actually saved everybody. Uh, so hmm. that movie is just going Weird. to you know spew american patriotism left and right oh Oh, probably uh so yeah i mean this is this was slightly more subtle to me than some of the american films that we have that really embrace patriotic themes uh, see it's subtle because i think it is (laughs) different but it is really strong china versus japan japan is evil look what they like look what they turned this beautiful city into it looks like a battleground. You know, there is just barbed wire everywhere. Uh, people are laying dead in the streets. And then you have, you know, China, who he was. He was the symbol of China, this peaceful place where, you know, people had honor and, and fought each other just for sport. And and now he's rising up from the slums to to take it all back. And they, the way they, they 
they put that like right at the end that he beats the Chinese general, which didn't happen. That yeah. he, that fight never happened. Yeah. But it, it kind of segues into like, and then a few years later, you know, Ch- China got out of Japan's control, unconditional surrender. But they really phrase it of like because of this fight. Yeah, <laughs> like he rallied the Chinese people to yes. beat Japan yeah. you know, <laughs> to because of be the word of this fight spreading. And really, it's much more complicated than that. And yes. maybe this might have inspired a few people. I, it, what I read is that there there was a fight with him and a general, but it was like a very small. Um, I don't even know if it was any kind of tournament, but they had a. They had a duel that was not nearly so public and huge. Um, well, and he was, like I said, he's still working as a policeman at that right. time. And I think from what I read, uh, Ipman was not in Foshan for the entirety of the occupation. Like he actually left for a while and yeah. then came back. Yes. Yeah, he had been uh, educated in Hong Kong and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then was living in Foshan and acting as a policeman. And then I think during he was, he had an encounter with the general and then left and they, they, you know, fled to Hong Kong and then came back for a while and then left again when uh, communism rose in China. Yep. Right. Uh, One thing I find kind of crazy about this film is a lot of people got hurt making it. Which I suppose makes sense. I would not be surprised when you watch <laughs> these people perform these moves. Uh, we, I mean, like like uh, Yen was injured by an axe wielder slicing the left side of his eye. Uh, wow! <laughs> and he also had to have a masseur on set because he could not raise his right shoulder at one point. Uh, and then <laughs> one of the other actors found it difficult to work because he kept receiving concussions. Uh, so that's hard. That, that's, that's difficult to work under. Uh, but I just want to talk about from my naive perspective of Kung Fu and Kung Fu movies. It's really fun to watch. It is so much cooler than any any other American fight that I, or, or just like Westernized fighting is not near as cool with any sort of choreography than watching choreography in this movie is amazing it's incredibly Uh, good yeah and this is this is also kind of like a really high point of this style of filmmaking like you're not going to go watch every martial arts film and it's going to be this good this is really lovingly done uh as far as the choreography goes and i was just like i was excited to watch it again because i was like remembering some of the fight scenes and just how cool they were oh they're later on they get yeah, later on they get a bit more. At some points, they get a bit more. Um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. <laughs> there is this insane fight on a fight scene on a table. Uh, do you remember that, Nicole? When there's like all those masters joined together and they fight on this table. Yeah, it is. It and gets really flying through the air. And it, like the table breaks and they're balancing <laughs> on pieces of it, and it's right. just like it gets into full blown like. And there's a little bit of that in this, like when they're like falling and they hit themselves up before they land, or like when they're jumping through the air and their bodies contort in ways that are very difficult to really carry con- off yes. to contort. Uh, but there's still a pretty strong level of realism in here, and uh, when just 
watching him do those fast punches on people. Yeah. So much fun. Yeah, that's that's thanks to the fight choreographer, uh, Sammo Hung. And Sammo Hung is a martial arts star in his own right. Uh, he's one of, they call them the three brothers. Uh, he, Sammo Hung, Yuen Biao, and Jackie Chan all went to uh, the Peking Opera School together. Uh, they've appeared in several movies together. Sammo Hung was actually briefly in a U.S. show called Martial Law. Um, <laughs> that was, I think it lasted about one season. And um, he is, he's a legend. Um mm-hmm. But he's not, you know, he doesn't get to do the stuff that Donnie Yen does because he's sort of a a roly-poly looking sort of man and not one who you would think would be thought of as an international um, movie idol uh, sort of guy. But he is a fantastic fight choreographer, and I think that's what he's decided to do with his later years since it's becoming more difficult for him to do the actual martial arts himself. Mm-hmm. I think in films like this, your fight choreographer is should probably be paid equal to the director. Uh, they carry the film. I mean, uh, one of my favorite fights in the film is when he's fighting the bandits in the factory. And there's a point where, uh, you know, Donnie Yen grabs this really long stick uh, like this long rod and yeah. and it's like and it seems so unwieldy because it's so thin that it's not it's not like a, not like a big heavy thing it's like thin and maybe like a quarter inch you know wide yeah it's like it's bamboo um, i think right like bamboo it seems like it would it would you know probably like flail because it's so long but he's so precise with it and one of the guys literally while fighting him is like how do we even get close to him because he just starts like snipping them out of that they're feeding stuff and it's just so razor sharp in its execution. And yes. that's astounding to me because I don't see anything like that in, in Western culture. Uh, yeah. It's so that's, cool. a, that's one of the standard uh, sort of arsenal of Kung Fu weaponry. When, you, when they work with weapons is a, there's a very long uh, spear. Oh, really? On a bamboo pole. That's yeah. Cool. I love because it. I also love the sword really? fights. I think the sword fights are so cool. There's like two big sword fights in this movie. One is the overzealous uh, master from the beginning that gets his ass handed to him by Ipman uh, once that northerner comes to town and they fight with swords and it's really awesome because they have these really impractical giant over-the-top swords that look like there's something out of World of Warcraft. And then later in the movie when the same northerner is fighting uh, Ipman in his house... He yanks out a sword on him halfway through it. And, no, it's not a sword. It's like a feather duster. Oh, you're talking about yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, okay, and, then, yeah. and then Ip Man yeah, Ip pulls grabs out, the feather duster. Right. Yeah, he pulls, <laughs> pulls out a feather duster, which makes that scene oh. even better. Uh, yeah, sure. That, one of the coolest shots in the movie for me is when Chinese Carl Urban launches that sword <laughs> through the air and like is going to strike. And there's that shot uh, from the side of it arcing in the air and uh, it kind of goes slow-mo for a second, and then he strikes at Donnie Yen and then grabs it, and the fight continues, which is this really cool, like, ooh. <laughs> I'm really yeah. in trouble getting the vision of Carl Urban out of my head now. This 
just for some reason watching this movie i had a really strong feeling that i had seen him before in something and i looked up my and i haven't and it just hit me i'm like he looks so much like carl urban (laughs) it is ridiculous I love it. I love it. Brother from another mother. Uh, so hey, as, as we begin to, to wind yeah. down our discussion of, uh, of, of, of Yipman, is there anything else you guys want to discuss about this, about this wonderful movie? Uh, uh, that 10 person fight is super cool. Yes. It's really cool. <laughs> I want to fight 10 people. <laughs> I know. Right. Watching like I can do that. Nope. <laughs> <Can't>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's nice that they avoid there's, you know, the cliche of someone says, you know, I'm going to fight, you know, one guy against six guys and each of them conveniently lets them go one at a time right. to fight him instead yes. of all attacking him at once. Thank you. And this one, it's several people at once attacking him and he's fighting them all off successfully and then being doing really nasty finishing moves to all of them, including breaking one guy's leg backwards uh, uh, just, and the one guy's arm the same way Ugh. yeah oh my goodness i i've been taught how to do that um but it's you know i'm i'm saving it <laughs> i'm gonna save that one for the most extreme situation and hope that yeah. never ever comes up because <laughs> i don't know if i could take the noise if it's anything like the foley work that they do for yeah. this movie that um that scene is simultaneously awesome and also makes you really uncomfortable because of the sounds yeah. that it makes when stuff starts yes. breaking. I'm like, oh, oh, but it's so cool. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> it's probably a bunch of people like cracking bamboo and, you oh, know, breaking yeah. right. celery and stuff. Very in good a room Foley artists. Yeah. Microphone. <laughs> um, so. Just out of curiosity, my understanding is that, so there's, there's, there's Kung Fu, which is like the top tier. And then beneath that, you have different types of kung fu, uh, correct? Or am I already wrong? Kung fu is just is sort of a catch-all. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, so Wing Chun is a type of kung fu. Yes. It's, yeah, and that's what yeah. he's using. So what yes. are the Japanese using? Uh, karate, Aikido. Karate, probably, yeah. And then what are the probably northerners using? Probably mostly Aikido, using? actually. Hmm? What are uh, the northerners using, then? Uh, they don't really say. I think they just say northern style. Okay, I think they're pretty general. So are there a on bunch it. of different I, styles? I don't recognize it. It may very well be called something specific, but I don't know the name of yeah. it. So, like, what are you there taught, are... In, uh, Nicole? Because Nicole, you're uh, a black belt, I aren't was you? Unarmed, I was taught Aikido. Okay. Um. So armed, I was taught Kenjutsu, which is actual uh, sword fighting. Nice. So. That's cool. And those are both. Chinese or Japanese? Both Japanese. Both Japanese. Japanese. Okay. See, I'm very interested by this stuff. Uh, that is so cool. Um, well, I this movie convinced me to like care about kung fu movies. Uh, Yay! Oh, just you wait. Just you wait. Uh, oh, there's such a there's a whole world, Brett. There's a whole world well, of here's great the thing. kung fu movies. The only thing you guys keep mentioning a movie called The Raid, and I don't know what it yes. is. I don't know anything about it. All I know okay. is that when uh, the Force Awakens came out. There were people for, in that movie in the Han Solo from the scene from the raid, and people thought that was really cool. So that's all it's I know about it. They were totally wasted because they were. I'm just going to use so my Star Wars minutes. connections. Yes, there are Star Wars connections everywhere. They were so wasted; it was ridiculous. <laughs> well, that's how I'm gonna. That's how I'm gonna draw my parallels into my Western into my Western mind. Uh, well, why don't we go around the table real quick and find where everybody 
can find everybody else online. That way people can follow different shows you do, different projects you're working on. What about you, David? What do you have going on? Oh, as always, the Heck Yeah Comics podcast, heckyeahcomics.com, or Heck Yeah Comics, wherever podcasts are sold. I'm also on Brokebot Mountain, which is a sci-fi show that started from a Westworld podcast, and Westworld is coming back soon, so we'll be slipping back into a Westworld podcast, which is very exciting. Uh, and you can find me around the internet under the username Davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z, so Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, you can find me there. Very good. And what about you, Nicole? Oh, mine's much more boring. Um, I curate the Facebook page for Moving Around, facebook.com slash movingaroundpodcast. Um, and our previous show that three of us did together, Geek Cinema Society, uh, which is now found on feeds as Geek Cinema Society, the archive. And uh, you can find me personally on Twitter under at your word whiz, And that's Y-O-U-R-W-O-R-D-W-H-I-Z. Very good. My name is Brett Stewart. Find me on brettdavidstewart.com. I'd also like to throw a quick uh, mention of Silver Screens and Politics out there. That is also on the TiltingWindmillStudios.com website where this is also on. Uh, that is done with myself and Dominic Chikoki, and we talk about uh, primarily presidents and the different films revolving around them, uh, either directly biopic or incredibly loose. Uh, so if you would like to hear me being confused by international films, then you are certainly in luck because by the time this comes out, our uh, Bollywood special will be coming out around exactly the same time. And we watched Foss Gay Ray Obama, which is a 2010 Bollywood satire uh, that is the most wonderful thing you'll ever see. It is oh, a Bollywood film that revolves around a four different kidnappings happening within different kidnappings as they're all really confused about Obama. <laughs> it is it is terrific. <laughs> if you have never seen that it, sounds, go see it. That sounds fantastic. Oh, it's great. Nicole, Yikes. you would love it. I bet you'd love it too, David. It is it is phenomenal. And I guess it was very well received by um by Indian audiences. Uh, totally worth seeing. So that'll do it for myself, David, and Nicole. We're going to have our pick for next week, which is going to be a You Did This To Us. We don't know it right now, so it'll tell you right now, and we'll see you next week. Hey, everybody. The pick for next week is going to be the John Travolta film, The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, and joining us on that program is going to be Dominic Chikoki of Silver Screens and Politics, another wonderful show here on the network. Be sure to check that episode out next Saturday. 